Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. So I want to start today by simply sharing a statement with you. And that statement is that you and you back there and up there, yes, I see you. I see your hand. Hello. And maybe you over there. I see you two waving. You are all contagious. And so I know that during the time we live in, that statement is a bit disconcerting. So before you look at the person next to you and move away or reach for a mask or even worse, leave, let me explain what I mean. Vanessa Van Edwards is a neuroscientist. And she researches a myriad of things, among which is TED Talks. And for those of you who don't know what a TED Talk is, it's simply a speech given by an expert on a wide range of topics. So Vanessa was wondering why some of these TED Talks go viral and become very popular, while others kind of are shelved on the side. And she looked at a lot of things. She looked at diction, gender, she looked at age, she looked at geographical location of the presentations, she looked at outfit choices and shoes, she looked at modulation of volume, and As she was compounding all this research, she realized that there is one thing, yes, one thing only, that determines what makes a talk popular. See if you can figure it out. So most of these presentations begin something like this. Good afternoon. Today, I want to share with you a really big idea. I am going to make three points, and they will change your life. Now, what you should feel is a surge of dopamine, because as you see my words match my hand gestures, what I am actually conveying is that my dominance of the source material is such that I can speak to you on two different tracks. Now, compare that to this. Good afternoon. Today I want to share with you a really big idea. (laughs) And I am going to make three points. And they will change your life. 
Now, you should feel just a slight surge of anxiety because you're probably wondering, what is he doing with his hands back there? So Vanessa noted that the most popular TED Talkers use an average of around 475 hand gestures. The least popular, around 270. Which means that confidence, or at least the confidence that we portray, is contagious. So I'm wondering, if confidence is contagious, could it be possible that any other emotion is contagious? So there was a really fascinating but equally disgusting study that the University of Arizona performed. So researchers looked at sweat pads. Somebody asked me after first service, what is a sweat pad? Well, basically, it's exactly that. It's a pad full of sweat. So researchers went around gathering sweat pads from people on an elliptical. After I found out that this was actually a job, I never complained about my employment again. So they gather these sweat pads from somebody on an elliptical, and then another set of researchers decided to gather sweat pads from people that were about to go skydiving on their maiden voyage. I put the sweat pads together, and then a group of unsuspecting poor souls was asked to smell the sweat pads. Yeah, I know to smell the sweat pads while connected to an fMRI machine. That was the gross part. Here's the fascinating part. The people that smelled the skydiving sweat pads had all of the areas in their brain associated with fear light up. Now, they didn't know what they were smelling or who it belonged to. And yet, there was contagion. So fear is contagious, and confidence is contagious. And we come to the fourth in our series on the sanctuary. And I want to start this morning by simply laying out the hypotheses. And that is that throughout this message, we're going to consider the possibility that holiness is also contagious. But in order for you to buy that hypothesis, we need to go to the book. So if you have a Bible, this is a time when you pull it out, and we're going to go to Exodus 30, that passage that was so well read by our congregational members. So Exodus 30, we're going to look at verses 22 through 34. Exodus 30, 22 through 34. Now. The very first part of the passage should strike you. And the problem is that our NIV versions don't capture the original flavor of the Hebrew. Because the original starts a little bit like this. God is giving Moses these really integrate instructions about how to make olive oil. And as he is giving the, him these detailed descriptions, the passage begins, therefore gather for yourself. And then Moses receives the order to go and gather a very exact and detailed list of ingredients. It's that first part that I want to linger over just for a few moments. Gather for 
yourself. So that's our framework. Everything that is to follow in the next 12 verses is done for the benefit of Moses and the people. Now, I don't know much about the sanctuary. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not sure what happened in 1844, and I can't give you an exact answer as to what Jesus is doing. But I do know this. The sanctuary is built for your benefit. Let me say that again. The sanctuary is built for your benefit. I don't know if there are some cosmic weights on which you are placed in order to balance your ethical worthiness. But if they are, here's the good news. Those scales are weighted in your favor. Those scales are weighted in your favor. Another interesting thing jumps out from the page as we are considering this passage, and that is that Moses is instructed to gather liquid myrrh. It's myrrh that is free-flowing. And the rationale for this, for that, doesn't appear as clearly in the NIV, so I'm going to do something I don't usually do. And that is, I am going to use Eugene Peterson's wonderful translation of the Bible so that you can get a flavor of how the original audience would have heard it. So all these ingredients are being gathered in order to construct oil, and this is, what, this is how Peterson translates that. That it may be soaked, that it may be soaked in holiness so that anyone who so much as touches them will become holy. Notice what Peterson is trying to say and what the original flavor of the text is saying. It's saying that this oil is to be gathered in order for it to inundate the sanctuary, that everything that comes in contact with it may become holy. And so here is the first step in building and proving our hypothesis. If you have come to this church today, guess what? You are going to catch holiness. And you're going to catch holiness not on the basis of the adequacy of the preacher or the message, not on how harmonious the music was or how skilled our organist is. You are going to catch holiness because it's impossible to come into an encounter with God without having an experiential transformation. Now, I don't know about you, but I yearn to encounter overflowing grace, to be overwhelmed by it. And that is why we worship. You see, we don't worship because we've come to hear entertaining stories. We don't worship because we've come to hear rousing music. We don't worship to, because we've come to hear a somewhat compelling sermon. We worship because we believe that Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath, we come in contact with the experience of the risen Jesus. And if you believe that, 
And I think you do because you just said amen. If you believe that, then here is what's happening at this moment in this place. At this very moment, heaven is invading earth. You are being overwhelmed by the Shekinah of God. And it doesn't matter how fast you try to run from it. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to fight it. You are going to catch it. Now, that's not to say that we are haphazard in what we do. Every Tuesday, my colleagues and I gather and we go through the service and we plan the message and the music department thinks about pieces that will co a lot, coincide with what we're trying to say. We gather and we try to figure out sermon series that will be relevant and important for you to hear. Even our children's feature seeks to connect us with the main idea that we are going to propose. By the way, thank you, Chris. Our children now have exactly the same, the same mastery over Hebrew that I do. <laughs> Everything we do is planned. But you see, worship doesn't happen through the service. Worship happens when your, ex when your spirit is touched by his spirit. Holiness happens when you realize that God, yes, God is in this place. And if you believe that, then it's impossible not to be transformed. So here's the first thing I want to share with you about worship. To worship is to change. To worship is to change. I mean, how else can you explain that... John and Peter leave their meeting with the Sanhedrin with blood on their backs and praise on their lips. Now, how else can you explain that Paul and Silas fill that prison in Philippi with praise? To be honest, I've been working with a misnomer. You know, I thought that liturgy was about the service, about its forms and its function. Well, this week I realized that the word liturgy literally means the work of the people. So our service is the work of the people. And the work of the people is to become holy. And we become holy not by retreating from the world, but by coming in contact with the world. Why? Well, human beings, you and I, people of faith, well-intentioned people, we care a lot about purity. I mean, think about Jesus walking down the dusty pathways of Judea. Think about Pharisee after Pharisee coming in contact with him, asking him questions about cleanliness. We care about purity. 
But this week I've realized that God values holiness. And you might be wondering, well, what's the difference? Simply stated, it's this. Purity requires effort and time. Purity necessitates immersion into water or cleansing by the fire. But if we take this idea that Moses is hearing at Sinai about the sanctuary, then you will realize that holiness is an act of grace. It is immediately imputed into you by coming in contact with God. And then it becomes contagious. Our liturgy and what we do is about facilitating experiences where we can realize the presence of God in our midst. But the problem is that some of us preacher types take ourselves really seriously. I remember the first sermon I preached here. You know, I thought it was my job to wow you with my diction, my use of the English language, my knowledge of the Bible. Last week, Linda and I were in Roseville, and I was once again reminded that the world looks at this church. Person after person came up to me, thanking us for what we do here. They would say, thank you for your messages, your discussions, your music. Thank you for what you do. You're such a blessing. By the way, when does Pastor Randy come back? <laughs> Two weeks. Two weeks. So I thought it was my job to wow you. And I remember preparing this message, and I can still remember the sound of a baby crying back there. I can remember there were children standing up in pews playing with hymnals. I can remember all these things, and I can remember how distracted I became. And I said, well, how dare they? I am here sharing the gospel. And then, then I got a little older. And now... As I stand here and I look at you and I hear the babies crying and I see the children on pews playing with the hymnals, I love it. It's my favorite thing about church. You know why? Because those children and those babies are the only thing sometimes that reminds me that my congregation is still alive. <laughs> now God is working on us. He's telling us, don't take yourself too seriously. To, this week I read from one of my pastors, Richard Foster, in this wonderful book called Spiritual Disciplines. Foster writes that sermons that are not anointed by the Spirit fall like a frost on worship. Mercy. but I have all this knowledge. And Foster continues and says, heart worship inflames the spirit of worship. Head worship, head sermons 
smother the glowing embers. Oh, what does that mean? That means that what is happening up here is not as important for God as what is happening in here. And by that, I mean that pew where you're sitting. That is what truly matters. And the joyous reality is that right now, at this very moment, you are feeling the flooding of grace and of the Spirit. But you see, Moses continues receiving instructions. And he gets a list of ingredients. And then he is asked to procure incense. And it's right there in the text, you can read it. This incense that he is asked to, con- to create has three primary characteristics. It is holy, it is pure, and it is salty. Now, one cannot hear saltiness in Scripture and not think about Jesus' invitation for us to become salt of the world. What is that reminder that Christ compels us to live out? You are the salt of the earth. And many pulpits and many preachers before have delivered powerful messages that remind us of our responsibility to be salty. That we ought to go into the world and preserve it. Or that we ought to add a certain ethical flavor to it. But in the context of the sanctuary, this idea of salt is a bit different. You see, we know how salt was used in religious religious services in the ancient Near East. The Babylonian Targum, which is a commentary on scripture, tells us that rabbis would get a clump of salt and throw it into the altar in order to make the incense burn longer. You would sprinkle salt upon your, li- upon your lights in order to make them burn brighter. You know, the beauty of holiness in the context of transformational worship is that it's democratic. You know, I look out at you and I see all different ages Races, genders, ideologies, preferences, and somehow God has brought us to this place to experience his presence by mixing us together. The author of Exodus says, according to the work of the perfumer. Did you catch that as it was being read? Well, perfumers were hired in the ancient Near East as artists in order to mix and meld ingredients together to create something new. Our heavenly perfumer has brought us here to mix and meld us that we may burn brighter. God, the most holy being, invites you to partner with them in order that his light may be expanded but he's going to ask one thing of you. And that is that today you realize that to worship is to create, not to control. To worship is to create, not 
to control. And that's where we hit a speed bump because we love control. We love control. I've been married almost 20 years. And my godly saint of a wife still presses down on an imaginary brake pedal when she feels that I'm tailgating the person in front of us too closely. And I tell her, babe, there's no pedal there. And she's like, I need control. We love this experience of control. But God is pushing you to something different today. The creator of the universe is not controlling. He elicits freedom. You know, too often, when we talk about our liturgical services, when we talk about how we're going to construct a program, we end up having these conversations on correctness. How should the preacher dress, tie or no tie? In my case, socks or no socks. <laughs> How should the music be, beat or no beat? Traditional hymns are contemporary. We focus on correctness. You know what? Perhaps we need to start asking a new type of question. If we really believe that we're being invaded by holiness, then our conversations don't need to center on liturgical correctness. They need to focus on what type of people are these liturgies forming us to be? How are you being formed there where you sit in your pew? Because that's the most important thing. And if you are able to answer that question, then perhaps, and just perhaps, you can join with the prophet Isaiah when he says in chapter 12, verse 6 of his book, shout aloud and sing for joy. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. When's the last time you heard an Adventist church shouting for joy? Singing out loud. Well, guess what? The sanctuary gives you permission to shout for joy. Please don't shout, start shouting now. <laughs> shout aloud for joy. Unmitigated happiness. But I wonder. I wonder what stands in the way of this joy. And I think it has to do with the fact that not only are we enamored with control, we are also allergic to silence. See, we think that holiness is something that we can get like a vaccine and that we can continue feeding our holiness by through weekly boosters, Sabbath after Sabbath. That's not how it works. Brother, Brother Lawrence, an early church monk, talking about the issue of holiness, developed a really good way of determining the presence of God. He says that if he could feel the presence of God in the kitchen, he was sure that he would experience God 
in the church. See, we all talk about revolution, but if you've ever been to the Mendes house, you'll realize that we all talk about revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. Holiness in the presence of God is something that you are alerted to by injecting it into the everyday rhythm of your life. Into those experiences that otherwise you might tend to label as quotidian. I was thinking about how to illustrate that point to you. I was thinking about that long and hard this week. And come Wednesday, I was pretty frustrated because I still didn't have an illustration I could use. And I was poring over articles and studies and stories and looking at my Bible and wondering and getting a bit frustrated. It was hot on Wednesday. And I was hungry and people kept calling and there was no joy in preparing for this message anymore. And then it happened. Linda texted me an 18-second clip, and I had church. I want to share that clip with you today. That penguin waddle gets me every time I see this. Injecting the presence of the holiness, allowing holiness to flood you in the most mundane experiences. How do you do that, though? How, how can you live this life where God is a constant presence? where grace remains an ever-present companion. Well, we don't only like control. We also are really, really nervous when it comes to silence. And I can almost picture him. The disciple is sitting there, Wondering, thinking, praying, pondering about holiness and how he failed. Peter is trying to experience Jesus in the everyday. I mean, after you've been invited to fish for human beings, how can you go back? to a boat and a net. So he starts wondering. And he writes this epistle. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace 
to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Therefore, that is the word that I want to focus because therefore means that you need to focus on what came just before. And in the first 13 verses of his epistle, Peter is reminding us of what Jesus has done. Because to worship requires two things. It requires remembering and it requires responding. To worship is to remember and then to respond. So when was the last time that you truly remembered what Jesus did for you? That you paused, that you shut away the noise and the distraction and you truly remembered what it means to be engulfed by grace. To worship is to remember. And it is only when we have remembered that we can respond. Peter continues in verse 15 saying, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Again, this invitation to holiness. To catching this virus that makes us contagious. To experience the presence of God in our everyday life. To live out this sanctuary reality in the world. See, it wasn't about 1844. It wasn't about the investigative judgment. It was, about the pres it was always about the presence of God. Because when you are afraid, he assures you. When you are broken, he binds you up. When you are lonely, he comes by your side. Holiness is simply alerting yourself to the ever-present reality of God with us. That's the sanctuary. But like I said, we want to be entertained. The University of Virginia conducted another study. They took men and women, placed them in a, in a room, and administered these little microshocks to them. Nothing too bad, but definitely unpleasant. It was so unpleasant that uh, the participants actually were willing to give money to make the microshocks stop. But the researchers weren't interested in money. Instead, they gave each of the participants a little control with a button. And the button had the capacity to shock them. They then left the room. And the room stayed eerily quiet. No phones, no music, no distractions. After 15 minutes, two-thirds of the men and one-fourth of the women begin to shock themselves. They were so uncomfortable with their thoughts that they preferred pain. You see, in order to be holy, you need to be attuned to the presence of God. 
But the problem is that too often we are so uncomfortable with the silence that we prefer pain. You're uncomfortable with the shame, with the guilt, with the doubt, with the frustration. You're uncomfortable with the anger. And so you prefer pain. Today, today I want to alert you to this. There's nothing new that I am saying here. You've already heard these hymns. The story is interesting, but what really matters is that you recognize that God is here. Right now. God is invading this space, filling it to the brim. I know, I know when you go out, you'll forget. I know that you'll look at the pithy quotes that we try to come up with or the memorable one-liners that we give you as you critique the sermon. We pastors know that's what you do over lunch, and it's okay. I know that's what happens when you leave, but for this brief moment, can you stay in it? Can you remain with me in the presence of God? Can you get comfortable with the silence? Because you have been chosen by God. You have been joined with the Son. You have been strengthened by the Spirit. Therefore, it's not a question of when will God talk to you. It's a question of what is God saying right now. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.